You're listening to Recorded. I'm James Haynes-Young, the National's Foreign Editor, and joining us in the newsroom this week is Felipe Lazzarini, the head of UNRWA, the UN agency that provides healthcare, schooling and social safety net to millions of Palestinian refugees. In the job since April, Lazzarini says he's seen a poverty pandemic as COVID-19 rolls across the region. He tells us of the hopelessness he's seen on the ground in Palestinian communities and what it's like to run a cash-strapped agency with 28,000 staff, and one that's under perhaps more scrutiny than any other UN body. So what have you seen has been the impact of COVID-19 on Palestinians across the Middle East? I do believe that COVID-19 is unleashing a pandemic of abject poverty. I recently visited the camp in Beirut, for example, and I was struck by the level of despair and hopelessness. And basically, while COVID-19 does not make any distinction between the people who can get the virus, when it comes to its impact, it shows all the inequalities because the most vulnerable, and among them the Palestinian refugees, are the harsher hit in terms of socioeconomic impact. And actually, it's interesting that you were in Beirut That's a country also suffering a financial crisis, and then obviously August 4th, the explosion. How have you seen those other factors playing into this? I mean, Lebanon has been a downfall over the last few years and is now experiencing an unprecedented uh, political crisis, unprecedented financial crisis, economic uh, crisis, uh, and we had the blaster. And the blaster basically has symbolized also all the dysfunctionment of a system which was in place uh, in uh, Lebanon until now. And this had a huge impact uh, on the population. And we know also that the current situation has increased the number of Lebanese now living under the level of uh, poverty. It has gone from 30% to more than 50%. Uh, This translated after that into the Palestinian camp. Uh, I mean, you have a population of 80-90% today are fully dependent on UNRWA assistance in the camp. And we've seen issues of shortages of basic goods in Lebanon. We've seen, there's reports now that pharmacies are running out of even basic drugs. Is this something that's also affecting the clinics and the the operations of UNRWA and and the Palestinian camps? This specific question of uh, pharmaceutical uh, items is not uh, yet uh, uh, impacting uh, the uh, health services uh, of uh, UNRWA because we have our own supply uh, chain and supply line. But it is true that the overall uh, economic situation uh, in the country, the skyrocketing prices, uh, the access uh, to all the elements of the food basket uh, is affecting uh, the Palestinian refugees. And even our social safety net program, for example, we used to provide uh, cash assistance uh, to uh, the Palestinian refugees, uh, their value today, they are getting less in terms of purchasing a power. So it is indeed impacting. And of course, it's not just in Lebanon that, that Palestinians and Lebanese are, are facing these economic uh, challenges as well. Obviously, in Jordan, there's been a huge impact because of the coronavirus and even beforehand, and, and in Syria. How are you seeing these issues translate elsewhere? It, it, you're right. In Syria, for example, is also impacted by the situation in Lebanon. Syria has gone through 10 years of conflict, but we have a, we observe a severe downfall of the economic 
we have more and more families, for example, in Syria, who have gone from two meals a day to one meal a day. And we even hear families struggling to get the one meal a day. You go to uh, Jordan, the country has been severely hit uh, economically by the COVID, uh, and there have been a long lockdown, which has impacted uh, the economic activities uh, of the country. But the West Bank, same, has been also severely impacted by the COVID. There have been a number of lockdowns. There have been a slowdown of the economy and ma much less income, which has also affected uh, the families. And again and again, like everywhere, the most vulnerable among them the Palestinian refugees, are the harsher hit by this. And Gaza, we should never forget Gaza. Gaza also has been hit. Despite the 14 years of lockdown, the situation has worsened even in Gaza, where the entire population today, except those receiving an income from the PA and UNRWA, are dependent on food assistance by the organization. And you were talking just last week about, you know, Palestinians being forced to pick through the rubbish in order to survive. I received for the first time anecdotal report from the staff that they have observed people collecting food in the garbage. This is completely new, but this is also an indication on how the situation is becoming uh, desperate. The other impact is that people are becoming more and more reckless uh, vis-à-vis -vis, uh, the spread of uh, the COVID, because if they have to strike a balance, they would much prefer to take the risk uh, to get to be infected than to say I'm responsible of letting my children not having daily food, for example. We observe more and more, we observe increase of uh, child marriage, we observe increase of uh, uh, child labor, and all this is, is due to the stress on the socioeconomic impact. And so when it comes to managing COVID cases, what has UNRWA done in terms of making sure that the clinics have the resources they need, working with host communities? How is, how is it that UNRWA is managing COVID-19 cases? Few comments on this. Uh, when I took over my function, I was very impressed by the way this agency has adapted to COVID-19. Within day our staff has shifted into telemedicine. Our staff has shifted into e-learning. Our staff has uh, shifted into home distribution of food instead of distribution center. And we had front-line uh, workers uh, who have disinfected uh, the camp. So I have to say that uh, UNRWA, because most of its staff comes from the community, has been capable, in fact, uh, to maintain all its uh, critical services. When it comes to the broader COVID response, wherever we are, our response falls under the host country or the national uh, response uh, plan, whether it is in uh, Lebanon, in uh, Jordan, in Syria, in the West Bank East Jerusalem, or in Gaza, we are working with uh, the broader health uh, response plan. We have, for example, in Lebanon, open uh, um, uh, um, an isolation uh, center in one of our uh, training uh, schools, which has been accessible not only for the Palestinian refugees, uh, but also for whoever the public hospital felt needed a place for isolation, and they were using this uh, center, which is a sibling center in, uh, in, 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 in south of uh, Beirut. Have you seen um, 
benefits that that will will help UNRWA services in the long run? You know, you mentioned they're moving to telemedicine. Does this allow your doctors and your the people who work in the clinics to see more patients per day? Is this something that UNRWA will keep long term now that we've seen these changes come in? I, th- I think we still have to measure the impact of these changes. But I give you one example. For example, uh, UNRWA has in, in, in the region has spearheaded education for uh, millions of girls and uh, boys. Now, we have also spearheaded uh, education in emergency setting. Unfortunately, we had the experience of a multiple war in the region over the last few decades. But it was the first time we were really experiencing an e-learning, uh, an, a learning at distance, and this has also highlighted, uh, I would say, strengths that the organization has, uh, but also weaknesses. Because when we talk about e-learning, we are talking about providing education at distance, providing education to children living in overcrowded uh, 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 camps, uh, to children coming from uh, families living under the poverty li- uh, line, from uh, for children not necessarily having all the device uh, and access to connectivities, which uh, forces us uh, to rethink uh, uh, the learning material for the children. And I intend, in this sense, uh, uh, next year, to organize uh, and to rethink, in fact, uh, the way we are providing education, especially if the impact of the COVID uh, forces us uh, to continue to have this uh, distance or blended approach. And just, you know, being very specific here, what do you do for refugee families who don't have laptops and internet and reliable connectivity and a a quiet space that their children can log in and and spend hours a day learning? So over the year, and because of of the situation in which we have been put and the teacher have been put, we have developed a lot of... uh, TV material, audio material, uh, books to be provided to the children. We have also hired additional daily uh, teacher to help the children to do their homework uh, from their place. But this does not yet compensate, uh, I would say, uh, the, uh, the impact uh, that the e-learning did have uh, on uh, the children, and hence the need uh, to have a serious thought about uh, what does it mean to provide education in this type of environment during this digitalization age? How do we make sure that this generation of children do also have access to the same resource and the same means? And um, a minute or two ago, we were just talking about the health impact. Does UNRWA have the bed capacity, the ventilator capacity, the, the drugs that are needed, the expertise amongst its medical staff in, in handling cases. So UNRWA is not providing this kind of uh, treatment. Uh, if we have a case of a person who needs a ventilator, this person will be referred to an hospital. We are not running hospital. There is one or two exceptions. But in general, we are not doing this. Uh, we are part of the broader preventive, I would say, a policy. We we help to refer people to the right uh, hospital uh, or detection, detection center. UNRWA is primarily running uh, a primary health care for today, I would say, 
um, about 3.6 million uh, Palestinians using this healthcare on a daily basis. But when it comes to treating the impact of uh, the COVID, uh, we are referring uh, the patient to a public hospital. But UNRWA then cover the cost uh, of this uh, treatment. And of course, you know, you mentioned before the dire situation in Gaza. I mean, this is a humanitarian crisis exacerbated now by COVID. There is a lack of resources. How do you see the situation there with the economics and with COVID? Well, you know, uh, we all were very concerned about uh, COVID spreading in Gaza uh, because it's a ticking bomb. Um, We had uh, over the last uh, six weeks uh, the first uh, local transmission of uh, uh, COVID uh, into Gaza. Um, There have been quite a number of uh, cases. Uh, If I look at uh, the Palestinian refugee population, uh, we, we, we talk about 2,000 cases. Um, fortunately, this is still a limited number compared to the overall uh, population in the Gaza uh, Strip. And we are uh, redoubling our effort to contain the spread in the Strip. I think this is the main instrument that we do have because the health system is not adapted for a surge of uh, of uh, uh, cases or a number of people who would require uh, the ICU or ICU bed. Do you feel, you know, particularly in the West Bank, but also in Gaza, that this is an area where Palestinian officials and Israeli officials will work together because neither will be safe if there is outbreaks and and the spread of COVID in in either population? You know, Israeli towns are not going to have, be able to control their own crisis if Palestinian towns nearby have a spread and vice versa. Is this something you're seeing? There have been coordination at the beginning of uh, the outbreak, but there have been later a decision to suspend uh, the coordination. And uh, nowadays, uh, this coordination is not in place uh, anymore. Now, we have a coordination when it comes to Gaza, where uh, WHO has stepped in in order to support the referral of uh, cases going out of uh, Gaza. That's what officially is in place today. But you don't see this as possibly the basis of, of some sort of meaningful cooperation? I, I, I do believe that uh, whenever we talk about uh, important humanitarian uh, cases, uh, uh, we, should, uh, we should coordinate. You know, more broadly, of course, all of these changes we've experienced in the last year and the increase in the need of the people because of the impact of COVID, that has an, a knock-on effect to your funding, which has you know, been a crisis now for years. How is the agency managing that? Well, this is further exacerbating the financial situation of the organization. And you're right to highlight this. In fact, UNRWA is in a financial crisis now for a number of years. I see two problems. The first problem is that there is a mismatch between the mandate provided to UNRWA, which is to provide education to more than half a million girls and boys, to provide health services and to provide a social safety net to the Palestinian refugees in the region. And there is a mismatch between the expectation of quasi-government services to be provided to this population and the resource being made available. 
And as a consequence, and this is the most unsettling problem the organization is confronted with, is a constant cash flow crisis. We do not have visibility for more than two to three weeks. We are an organization which has a core budget of 800 million, plus you add the emergency appeal, which brings us to more than $1 billion. We have an organization with 28,000 staff. And despite that, most of the time, we do not know if the months after we will be in a position to pay the salaries. This is highly unsettling for the Palestinian refugees. It's highly unsettling for the staff. It's highly unsettling for the host countries. And I keep telling member states and the donors, um, it's it's not always you know the most... Um, uh, incitement to support an organization which is always running behind the cash. So this model is not sustainable. It needs to be addressed. And my priority today is twofold. First, to make sure that uh, we uh, meet end before the end of the year. So months after months to ensure that the salary will be paid. But as from next year, to reverse this paradigm and go back to the member states, agree on a multi-year strategy on what we expect UNRWA to deliver. But on the other hand, UNRWA needs also a multi-year commitment from the partners and from the donors. So we better anticipate what's in the pipeline. And so we can ensure that what we have committed to deliver can be delivered because we have the commitment from the donors uh, that the resources will be made available. This can feel like a difficult sell when you're going along to countries and saying, we've been doing this for decades. The needs are increasing every year as the population increases, as COVID-19, as you know, even the situation in many of these places like Syria have deteriorated. The needs increase. The, the budget that you need to operate with increases. That's a tough sell to countries. How do you convince them to say, yeah, okay, we'll give you this many million over this many years? How do you sell that to the donors? I think that's a good question, but the same donors are the ones who have given the mandate to UNRWA. They are the ones who every three years recommit and renew the mandate and expect UNRWA to provide these services to the Palestinian refugees here in the region. I recently addressed to member states at the GA. Uh, to the Arab League, uh, to the European countries, uh, and basically told them, listen, we are in a very, uh, we are in a highly volatile region. There is a lot of unpredictability for the time being. And we started our interview with this. We went from one country to the other one. UNRWA, in reality, can be a source of uh, predictability. No one wants uh, uh, that uh, the Palestinian refugees population in the respective uh, uh, countries where they are today becomes a new source of instability because despair is growing because uh, they do not have access anymore to the basic, do not have access to their own dignity. And in reality, uh, today, for example, I'm calling for an additional $130 million between now and the end of the year just to pay the salary. 
But what is $130 million for three months in the region for 5.8 million a person when we talk about the stability of the, of, of, of the region? So it needs to be put into perspective. And I still believe that uh, investing in these uh, services uh, is a good investment if you want to promote uh, the stability of the region. And I think Netanyahu, um, the Israeli prime minister, you know, described it as UNRWA perpetuating the problem of the refugee crisis and, and perpetuating an idea of a right to return. Do you agree with that? UNRWA is not perpetuating any problem. Uh, the problem exists because it has not been politically resolved. No one today wants to be a refugee. No one wants to be a third-generation refugee. But if you're a third-generation refugee today, it's also because there haven't been, until today, a lasting and fair political solution. So until there is a lasting and fair solution, these people are in need of support. And this is exactly what UNRWA is doing and providing. I do believe that UNRWA is part of a broader solution, and UNRWA is definitely not the the organization uh, perpetuating uh, a problem. The problem is perpetuated because of the absence of uh, a political solution. And the last few years must have been, you know, obviously before your time, but must have been very difficult for the agency when you have a White House that is also fairly hostile to the work that you've been doing. How is that to come into? Well, in 2018, as you know, there have been the decision to defund the UNRWA. And at that time, uh, the U.S. contribution to the organization represented about 25%, uh, if not more, of all the contribution. So it had uh, a major impact uh, on the organization. But in 2018 was also the year that number of other countries uh, have uh, scaled up uh, their support uh, to the organization, uh, whether in Europe, uh, but also in the Gulf country. And uh, that's the way uh, UNRWA could continue to operate and maintain its activities. At the same time, my predecessor have been impact, uh, involved in a number of, uh, I would say, efficiency measures, including sometimes austerity measures, which have enabled the organization to control its cost, sometimes to register important savings also, which today we measure as being about half a billion dollars since 2015. So that is the reason why the message also to the member states today is to say, well, we cannot go far beyond that when it comes to efficiency. Effectiveness, yes, constantly we will make sure that we do business uh, in a better way. But efficiency today means more and more austerity and means also impacting the quality of the services but also the number of people who might be recipient of the, uh, uh, receiving the services of uh, UNRWA. And do you feel that UNRWA has done a good job of, of explaining some of those challenges to the people that you serve? You know, it can feel like you, as you said, 
you've given a mandate, you're expected to provide these services. And yet we've seen protests in Lebanon, we've seen protests in the West Bank. When, when UNRWA's turned around and said, we have to reduce services to the Palestinian people, they expect you, as you said, to, to operate like a state. The relation to UNRWA seems to be very emotional. Um, and I have also to say, I have never seen an organization as much under scrutiny than uh, UNRWA. Everything is uh, scrutinized and everything seems to be a balancing uh, act. We even have created in our organization functions which do not exist in any other country. For example, neutrality coordinator, just to make sure that whatever is being implemented uh, is perceived as being entirely apolitical and clearly perceived as being an investment in human development. But I also know that number of a country, whenever lawmakers ask questions about the support of the government to a UN organization, 80% of the cases, the question will be on UNRWA. And I think this says a lot on how UNRWA triggers, I would say, some passion or some, I would say, emotion. And I want to, you know, before we conclude, talk a little bit about your visit to the Gulf. You know, this is the second time you've been here in recent months. What, what's brought you here today? It's my first visit, in fact, uh, in uh, Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Riyadh. And between Riyadh and uh, Abu Dhabi, I, was, I went also to uh, Germany. Uh, my visit uh, is aimed at uh, strengthening the partnership uh, with the country of uh, the region, who traditionally, like Saudi Arabia, but like UAE uh, today, traditionally have shown strong support uh, to the agency. And uh, I was here to discuss about future uh, partnership uh, with all the development in the region. It is important that uh, the future strategy, the future approach, the future program of uh, UNRWA be supported uh, and also be supported by the country of the region. And you mentioned that the shifts in the region. I mean, a lot has changed just in the last few weeks with the signing of the Abraham Accords. How do you see this affecting you know, the UAE as a long-term partner? I do believe that uh, the UAE will continue to uh, support uh, UNRWA and to support the Palestinian refugees because the accord today is not uh, addressing the problem we are to- talking right now, uh, it is not yet providing a final answer to the fate of uh, the Palestinian refugee statue. So there is a need to continue to ensure that UNRWA provides education services, health services, social safety net uh, to, this, uh, to, to the Palestinian refugees in the near future. And also, I go back to a comment I made before, I think that investing in uh, human development of this population and to continue to promote their rights as Palestinian refugees uh, is a contribution to the stability, to the future prosperity of the region, and ultimately, it's a contribution to the broader effort uh, to achieve uh, peace in the region. And officials here have been, have been quite clear 
since the signing of the Abraham Accords that this is not the UAE retreating from its support for the Palestinian cause for a two-state solution. Is that the message you're hearing as well? I received the same messages about the longer-term uh, partnership, but I also shared uh, our, my two-gear approach, what needs to be addressed in the short term, which is the, fun of, uh, the cash flow crisis of the organization and the longer-term strategy uh, of uh, the organization, which will be shared with uh, uh, countries of the region and the donor base uh, of uh, UNRWA uh, early next year. You've been listening to Recorded. Thanks this week to Felipe Lazzarini, the head of UNRWA. If you enjoyed this conversation, click subscribe in your podcast app to get all the latest episodes of Recorded.